There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. And Greg, today, well, it's kind of like the dog days of summer, right? Exactly. Things are hot. The weather's hot. When the weather gets like this, Greg, it gets me thinking about things like baseball for some reason. Well, baseball, the boys of summer. The boys of summer in the dog days of summer, exactly. right? So it's it's just kind of that time. And I know about a month ago, a little over a month ago, the calendar turned to July 1st, which means all kinds of things, Canada Day and, and really the beginning of summer for me, right? Mm-hmm. But it also means one other thing. It's time for the New York Mets fans everywhere to wish each other a happy Bobby Bonilla Day. Have you ever heard of this? Bobby Bonilla. Well, maybe for some of us who maybe don't follow baseball too closely, who is Bobby Bonilla? You know what? Even if you followed baseball closely today, you might not know who he is because he hasn't played in the major leagues in like almost 20 years, right? But Bobby Bonilla, on July 1st, on that Friday, the 59-year-old Bobby Bonilla collected a paycheck from the New York Mets for almost $1.2 million. And he will do this every July 1st between the years of 2011 and 2035. And it's because of baseball salary structure. So Bonilla's annual payday is actually often more than some of the game's current young stars will make in a given year. And this season, that even includes the salary of one of the sport's biggest sluggers and some potential all-stars. So it's kind of, it sounds rare that this person who hasn't played in many years is going to be paid, call it one and a quarter million dollars a year for many more years to come, right? Unbelievable. But the New York Mets are not alone in this practice of handing out deferred payments to some of their star players long after they've last suited up for their team. So there's many teams that pay out for many years. Like when you see those big contracts, you know, like the $100 million contracts and stuff. But that player only plays for, I don't know, a few years and then is injured or something happens. Mm -hmm. There's still money to be paid out, right? For a long period of time, right? So today we're going to talk about Bobby Bonilla Day because he's got this deferred payout contract and as i said it's going to it's going to pay him out for another another 13 years right amazing yeah so it was the year 2000 when the mets agreed to buy out the remaining 5. million dollars of bonilla's contract but instead of paying him the 5.9 million dollars that day they agreed to make annual payments to him of nearly 1.2 million for 25 years starting july 1st of 2011 And at the time, they negotiated an 8% interest rate. So some would say, why would they do this, right? Like, But at that time, Mets ownership was invested with a company you might remember, Bernie Madoff. Oh, lucky them. Yeah. And so they had, you know, thought they were going to be receiving something like a 12% or more rate of return on their money, right? And so it didn't make sense to the Mets ownership to pay out Mr. Bonilla all of the $5.9 million that day. And instead, because they thought, well, we're going to earn 
12% rate of return. Pay him 8%. Pay him 8 We keep the difference. Sweet. It's just math, right? Right. So Bonilla last played for the Mets in 1999, which is 23 years ago, right? You know, so why are we even talking about this? Well, we're talking about this on an investing podcast because it's all about compounding, right? There's a quick calculation that says if the Mets were to have received that 12% rate of return from Bernie Madoff, that's a name you haven't heard of recently, right? No, it's a big name about 14, 15 years ago. Well, yeah, it kind of all unraveled in the global financial yep. crisis, right? Mm-hmm. But they were expecting this 12% rate of return. So they thought, well, instead of paying out the $5.9 million to Bobby Bonilla, they could have invested that same amount of money over that same time period of 25 years, right? And given that rate of return, that $5.9 million should have grown to somewhere around $100 million, right? Whereas if they paid him out the $1.25 million, over 25 years at 8%. And if we use it, do a present value calculation on that, that comes out at about $12.8 million in present value dollars. So in their eyes, this was something like an 87 or $88 million potential difference in paying out now versus paying out later in having the money compounding, right? But of course, the Madoff Fund failed. I don't know if you knew that, but it, it didn't work out, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course you that. knew that. Yep. And the Mets were left on the hook for Mr. Bonilla's one and a quarter million dollars a year for the next 13 years. So that is the power of compounding, right? Because he really is the winner. He's being paid for his whole life, right? He's the big winner for sure. And everybody else, particularly anyone who counted on getting 12% a year every year for the next 25 years was the big loser. So a, a couple of lessons there, you know. The first one is don't invest with anybody who promises you 12% a year every year for the next 25 years. And secondly, compound interest. Yeah, just compounding, yeah, right? Like absolutely. It's just, you know, because I'm sure at the time when Bobby Bonilla, Mr. Mr. Bonilla, when somebody said, hey, you know, you could take it all now or we'll pay a one and a quarter a million a year, I bet you at the time he probably struggled with it, right? Like, like, should I just take it all now or should I? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. He obviously made a good decision. Made a good decision. So what does that mean though for us? And, and I think it means quite a lot. And there's a quote that's attributed to Albert Einstein. I'm not 100% sure that it was his, but it's attributed to him. And it says, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. So compound interest, what is it? It's just interest you earn on your money plus the interest you earn on the interest that's already accrued. So here's kind of a classic example. And, and let's say somebody offers you either $1 million today or a penny today with the promise to double the value every day for the next 30 days. So what do you do? Do you take the million or do you take the penny and let it double every day for the next 30 days? Well, a lot of people might take the million today. Bad call. So if you double the value of a penny every day for 30 days, at the end of that month, you'll have over $5.3 million. So clearly, it's one of those things, though, that you don't think about. It doesn't sound like it should amount to that much when you're starting with a penny. But this can't happen, Craig. It can't happen. Sadly, there's not many investments or opportunities that we have to double our money every every day. Well, that's not what I mean. It can't happen because can you imagine hauling around $5.3 million of pennies? Well, you know what? I don't. I don't think those will fit in my pocket for sure. Um, but uh, <laughs> I wonder how much how much area that would cover. You know, and then you have to go to those machines that they have in the grocery stores where you can dump your change. You know, and it, 
<laughs> and they give they give you your money over at the service desk. Okay, uh, not going to happen. But again, as I say, doubling your money every day for a month obviously is not particularly realistic. But let's talk about some examples that are highly relevant. And I think these I think the way to think about these examples are for people that are either new to investing, younger people, or older people, say like myself, who are thinking about looking at helping their kids or grandkids get started with investing. Because as we'll talk about, getting started early is the whole magic in this piece. So let's do a couple of examples. So let's say Ava is 20 years old and invested $1,000 today. So let's say she didn't touch it until she retired at age 70. It's 50 years. Assuming a 7.2% growth rate, which is probably in line with the long-term returns on stock markets alone, her money would increase by 32 times. So $1,000 today doesn't touch it. She would have $32,000 at the end of the the time. Well, and before you go on, that 7.2%, some people might say, that's not realistic. You're not getting that right now. But we just looked at data this morning that said, over the last 10-year period, if you had an asset allocation of 50% in bonds and 50% in stocks for the last 10 years, your rate of return was 7.4% per year. Exactly. So not everybody gets it. Not everybody stays invested, you know, all that time. But again, we're talking about a young a young person today putting away $1,000 and just leaving it alone for the next 50 years, $32,000 at the end of that time period. But if Ava waited another 10 years, let's say until she was 30 years old and invested that $1,000 and left it alone until retirement, in that case, she'd only end up with half as much, just $16,000. So by waiting 10 years out of a 50-year time horizon, it costs you half your money, Okay. And if she waited to age 40, then she'd only have about $8,000. So it makes a huge difference. But where things really get interesting is that most people, most young people today, whether they're saving their own money, hopefully, maybe even getting some help from parents or grandparents. But let's say you you don't just put in $1,000 and leave it. You actually contribute to that on an ongoing basis. So let's say you start at age 20, Ava's 20, you start with $1,000, and then you put in $83 a month, which is about your $1,000 a year. Until retirement, by age 70, she'd have $465,000. It's a bigger number. It's a big number, and again, saving what, you know, for a lot of people could be a lot of money, and for others, maybe not so terrible, $83 a month, but it sure adds up. And if she did the same thing, but waited until she was 30, to start this whole process, instead of $465,000 at the end of, at age 70, she'd end up with $225,000. So quite a difference. And again, it's that first 10 years that makes, makes all the big difference. I got a question for you. Yeah, shoot. Where do you get this name Ava from? Well, you know, I'm just looking for, you know, girls' names and I just (laughs) happened to, oh, wait a sec, your daughter's Ava, isn't she? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, so you know what you need to do. Ava's not 20 yet, but you know what the plan is. Well, 20 is just around the corner, really. Yep, that's right? right. So 83 bucks a month. That's what I got to start putting in. Exactly. Me. Okay. So let's look at another scenario. So let's look at 25-year-old Michaela and okay. 45-year-old Gabe. Those names are really familiar too, Greg. They are. Well, how, yeah. Why are they so familiar? Oh, well, I guess. Wait a sec. I think I've got kids named <laughs> Michaela and Gabe. <laughs> Gabe. Gabe's not 45 years old, though. <laughs> no. So anyway, let's say they each save $30,000 over a period of 20 years. And in this example, let's say in the first 10 years, they save $1,000 a year. 
and then they save $2,000 a year for the next 10 years. So again, they're each saving only over a 20-year period. They save $30,000. And for this example, let's assume 6% annual return, and they made the contributions at year end, which we won't get into why that's important, but just it is. It has an impact. So in this scenario, Michaela starts saving at age 25 and stops at 44. Gabe starts at age 45 and stops at 64. So even though they saved the same amount and earned the same rate of return, when Michaela's 65, she'll have $110,000 more in her nest egg than Gabe did when he turned 65. Okay, she ends up with 160000 and he ends up with just $49,970. So again, the benefit there, obviously, is because Michaela started earlier at age 25, the money grew and compounded much better. Now, here's the thing that also makes it interesting. If Michaela didn't stop saving at age 44, just kept on going into age 65, she'd end up with about $243,000. So again, um, compound interest, the real power in it is time. Okay, so you want to give yourself as much time as possible. The sooner you start saving and investing for retirement or for whatever the end goal is, the more time you'll have to take advantage of the power of compounding and it is really magical, and it's something that everybody who can should you know, start doing as soon as possible. And I would say right now is a great time to do it. I mean, the stock market's down 20 to 25%, so we have a higher expected rate of return going forward, right? Because you know what is compounding? I mean, compounding is just a process in which an asset's earnings from either capital gains or interest, as you mentioned, are reinvested to generate additional earnings over time. So you already talked about this, like, you're investing an amount and it's earning an amount and it's being reinvested on the original amount, right? It's compounding. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so it differs from linear growth, which is different, right? Like, you know, if somebody said you've got the, I don't know, I'll give you 6% flat, yep. no compounding. Here's a difference. Here's, here's an example that a lot of people will have experienced. You know, if you buy a, a GIC at the bank, you know, and you put in uh, $10,000 and it pays 5% interest. Well, it doesn't these days, but let's say it does. So well, it's pretty close to 5% now. It's getting there. Yeah. So you get your $500 a month. So once a year, the bank takes that and puts the 500 bucks into your bank account. And so you've still got your $10,000 GIC. It doesn't change. And you've got your $500 that you go and buy your wife a nice dinner. So that's simple interest and there's no compounding. And the, to your example... The compounding version would be instead of taking that $500 to buy one dinner, that must be an expensive dinner every year, you just reinvest that $500 exactly. back into it. Yep. And at the end of the period, call it five years, instead of having $2,500 of interest, you'll have some larger amount. Exactly. Right? Yep. Now, it's basically called the time value of money, right? Which is also known as compound interest. So compound interest works on both assets and liabilities. Like there's there's a reason why people will take different mortgage payment plans. Sure. So, you know, some people will choose, and I'm not talking about variable versus fixed rate, but I'm talking about like weekly, biweekly, or monthly payments, right? So if it helps assets grow, it also helps in the odd way, liabilities grow, right? Yes. So, you know, the longer you take to pay off something, the more time that the interest has to compound, the more it works against you, mm -hmm. right? No, exactly. Well, it kind of reminds me, actually, speaking of compounding liabilities, if you recall, during the great financial crisis, 
a lot of the financial finagling that was going on around mortgages, particularly in the U.S., they had what they called negative amortization mortgages, and where people didn't even pay enough. Their mortgage payments did not cover the interest that was accruing. And so every month and every year, the outstanding balance on their mortgage actually grew because they failed to actually, not only did they not you know, make their interest payments, but yeah, they, they didn't pay enough to cover the growing liability. So compounding, yeah, you for purposes of what we do here, we would like to think of assets compounding. Yeah, for sure. We want our assets to compound. We want them to grow over long periods of time. I think the problem is that everybody's really focused on the short period right now because of everything we've talked about in every episode this year, right? That short-term markets are down, so that gets the attention. But we really need to look at the longer-term event because to your example earlier, I've got a very similar example. Like if you took a million dollars and it earned... Now, this is a big number, but just bear with me. It's just easier math. 20% per year, right? After one year, you'd have $1.2 million, right? On an annual compounding. On a semi-annual compounding, so you have two time periods instead of one, it's $1.21 million, right? Quarterly, that grows to $1.215 million, Monthly, $1.219 million, and so on and so forth. So the more compounding periods, the higher the actual amount is, right? Because it's more compounding time. Well, and and even looking at the most typical compounding periods, you know, typically it could be annual or semi-annual. But just just in your example, you get $10,000 more at the end of a year just by semi-annual compounding. Now, to some people, $10,000 doesn't mean much to me. I consider that real money. I consider it real money. Hey, I just sold a car recently. I yeah. think I hey, told you this. Congratulations. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was my wife's old car. The dealership, when we went to trade it in, offered us like $10,000. We sold it for eighteen five. So <laughs> maybe that's not a, an example of compounding, but it's definitely, I would rather have that 8500 bucks than the dealership. Exactly. So it's kind of the same thing, right? Well, it's it's the same thing in that the money is available to you. And if you choose not to take it, then that's a decision, but you should make decisions that, that benefit yourself financially. Exactly. So carrying on with the example of compounding, I guess, right? Well, listen, I mean, compounding is, is fairly crucial in finance. Wait, wait, you said that like a Canadian. Finance? Finance. Finance? Well, finance. yeah, like I always get confused about this, right? Like, you know, I remember when Paul Martin was the minister of finance. He was always the minister of finance. But then like... I don't know, another cabinet minister would come in and they're, they're the minister of finance. What's the difference? Well, and actually, I do say finance probably more often than I say finance. So why did you say finance right now? I don't know. I lost my mind for a minute there. Is it because it's financial planning or financial planning? I don't know. These are things we can't solve today. Sorry, I'm, I must have been in the Bahamas there for a minute. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> okay, so anyways, crucial okay. to finance or it, finance. It is because it's the motivation behind many investing strategies. And one of the classic invest, investing strategies that we uh, support and recommend is just this whole concept of reinvesting distributions. You know, so, you know, distributions come in many ways, you know. So if you own individual securities, which we don't necessarily you need, but even through funds, you end up just with a whole bunch of individual securities. And many of those securities pay dividends. Most mutual funds, probably almost all mutual funds, pay a distribution. And those distributions come either typically quarterly, the same for dividends, and there are some ETFs and things that pay dividends monthly. 
Well, and they're only paying the dividend because if you buy an index, a market index mutual fund or or exchange trade fund, you're just getting the dividend from all of the stocks that exactly. are in that portfolio. Exactly. So yeah. in, in a in a well diversified global equity fund, you're going to have a whole bunch of companies in there that are paying dividends, and the fund earns those dividends. And the fund distributes those, plus any other earnings they might have from other holdings, to you in the form of a distribution, typically four times a year. Now, you can choose to take those dividends in cash, and some people do. They say, oh, well, I'll just take my dividend in cash because then I'll, I'll spend it. I'll either use it or I'll buy something different with it. Or you can reinvest those dividends or those distributions in additional units of that fund. By reinvesting those distributions, of course, you're capitalizing on the benefits of compounding. This and is just the, back to the GIC example. That's right. And so yeah. we're not we're not compounding interest necessarily, we're compounding dividends, it's the same thing or distributions. And by doing that, then the reinvested distributions will contribute to much better outcomes in the long run. And one way to think about one way to think about well how how much can I expect to have through compounding? Well, there's something, a little something we like to call the rule of 72. Wait, we don't like to call it that. It's called that. It is called that, and we like to say it. (laughs) But we didn't come up with it. I didn't say we came up with it. I said we like to call it. Yeah. (laughs) Anywho, the rule of 72, it's, it's something we've talked about in the past. It's a heuristic. What's a heuristic, Colin? It's a mental shortcut. Exactly. It's a mental shortcut, and it's used to estimate how long an investment or saving will double in value if there's compounding returns. And basically the rule states that the number of years it will take to double is 72 divided by the interest rate. So if the interest rate is 5% with compounding, it would take around 14 years and five months to double. If the rate of return is actually 7.2% in my first example, then it would be 10 years. So in simple terms, at approximately 7% or 7% and a little bit interest rate, an investment will double in 10 years with compounding. So that's it. We really want to hit home the point that for anybody, compounding is incredibly valuable and contributes to great investment returns in the long run, particularly valuable for young people. Okay, so the sooner you start the process, the sooner you leave things alone, the better the outcome will be in the long run. For sure. And, you know, you might get to a point in your life where you actually need the cash, yeah. right? So instead of having the distributions reinvested in compounding, like maybe this is later on in retirement, you're actually living off of some of those distributions. Sure. And you're taking it as cash, right? That's right. And I think it's important, and, and particularly for young young people starting out, is that there are going to be, you know, when you're starting out, you don't have a lot of money. You need money, whether it's to buy a house, you know, whether it's to fund your, your lifestyle needs when your salary isn't as high as it will ultimately be in the long run. You might have a family and you might need to spend money, but it always would make sense to have a portion of your savings that you can set aside and ideally not touch. The more you can do that, even if it's a smaller amount, but the more you can do that, the better off it'll amount to in the end. So we would recommend to anybody that's interested in, in this you should look at your financial plan, right? I mean, you should figure out how much you can save, what your time horizon is, how much risk you're willing to take, which will determine your expected rate of return, right? Because I want to be like Bobby Bonilla, Greg. I want to get paid every year for many decades, right? And the only way we can do that is to have our money earn money, right? You know, because we can't do this job forever, 
but our money can grow forever in, in, you know, by definition. Right. All right. Well, I think that's about it for today. Hey? Yep. It's a small but important aspect of what we do every day. Yeah. So next July 1st, we'll have to celebrate Bobby Bonilla Day. We will. Yeah. Maybe get some jerseys or something. We'll be back. Yeah. Okay. All right. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.